Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. Today's guest speaker is Hank Wallace. I just kind of want to start off with a little bit of story about what my life was has been like up to this point. And I decided that I wanted to be in law enforcement. So I, um, I had a friend that he kind of helped me. He said, hey, go over here to Alvin Community College and uh, here's the guy you need to talk to. And went in there and they told me everything I needed to do. I went and got everything ready. I, I, I went to the police academy. I passed, I passed and graduated the police academy before I was even old enough to be a police officer. I was doing pretty good. And then I already had a job lined up. He said, yeah, come on in. We, 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 got, a, we got a spot for it. So they, they started me off in the jail. But there's all kinds of jobs. There's booking. Uh, that's a big one that they always wanted. They wanted somebody because you had to know the computers and all this. There was jobs in the kitchen. There was jobs with uh, people's property that would come into the jail. All these extra jobs that you didn't get paid anymore to do it. So a lot of people wouldn't do it. I wanted to learn it all. I wanted to be the most useful person to them. So I was learning everything, and, and my supervisors liked me. My, my coworkers liked me. I, was, uh, I had moved out, and, of course, at the time, I thought this was the greatest thing because I had moved out. I had moved in with a girl, and I'm on my own. I've got a house. I've got my own car. I've got this girlfriend. I've got this job. My boss is like me. My coworkers like me. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get this little piece of property out here and build a put put a put a trailer out there and save my money, build a house on it, and build everything. I'm gonna do so great. I'm gonna be awesome, so good. And then, and then this lifestyle. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of partying. It's it's all about me. You go to a party, probably one that I shouldn't have been at, doing stuff that I shouldn't have been doing with people that I shouldn't have been with. And something happened. There was an altercation that I was involved in. And it happened to be not with the girl, but the girl was involved. The girl that I had been living with was involved. So I got involved. I ended up having to pull a gun on these people to what I thought was protect myself. Nobody else saw it that way. So, the next day, I was called by my own department to come in, give them my badge and my gun, because they needed that gun for evidence, and I was charged with felony. I was charged with felony assault, uh, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. There's a lot of witnesses, and it was me and, at the time, my girlfriend that were on my side of it. So, what ended up happening is they charged me, I went, they took me to the jail that I worked in, that I had been in, working in two days before. <laughs> I actually, they, because I was a jailer there, they didn't throw me in with all the other inmates. That wouldn't be safe. They, they protect you, they isolate you if it is an officer involved, because this does happen with officers sometimes. But what they did 
they, I actually sat in the sh- sergeant's office with my supervisors. They did this on my shift. And it wasn't to embarrass me. It was actually to help me. They did this on my shift. And I'm sitting in the, sh- the, the, the jail sergeant's office. And I'm sitting there. They were grooming me to be sergeant. This was going to be my office soon. And here I am sitting in there. And my sergeant's booking me in. And, and he, he looks over to the other guy in there. And he's like, hey, how does this work? And I, I'm like, because I did booking. I'm like, oh, yeah, you've got to do the thing right there. You just, and he's like, he turns the monitor. You do it. So I booked myself into my own jail. <laughs> And it's kind of it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it was a very serious thing. And I had these these charges against me. I had uh, I had bail, so I got out of jail. I didn't sit in jail or anything. Two years later, finally get to court. We had been to court twenty something times. I've been paying this lawyer thousands. All that money that I built up, all that money I was going to go buy that land, I was going to do all that money, gone. It cost me an enormous amount of money. Almost everything, actually, everything and then some that I had saved up over those two and a half years was gone. He put me, the Lord put me back at zero in my bank account. The bank account that I was relying on so much at zero. That girl that I was living with, she didn't want anything to do with me. I just caused her to lose her job. Her parents were mad at her. She was mad at me. She lost her job. She didn't have, any, she didn't have a job anymore. She, she was so mad, I lost the house that I was living in with her. Because it was her house. <laughs> it wasn't even mine. And so everything, all this stuff that I thought I had going for me, just stopped in an instant. It was all taken away. And then I was drugged through court. Finally, like I say, after two years, I finally, we finally went through the court process. And once it happened, it went. It went. It was a, just a couple of days. And they found me guilty. And I remember sitting in the courtroom and the, the, the jury went in, they deliberated, and they came out. And we didn't know what, was, what they were going to say. And they, they came out and they, they, they said, we find the defendant guilty. And my heart just sank. I, everybody, I, had, I had lawyers and friends and everybody telling them, oh, you'll be fine, you're going to be okay, this is going to be fine, They're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to be fine. I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't know God yet. I didn't know him. Because that's who I should have been listening to. And so they find me guilty, and my heart just sank. And I remember just feeling, I remember feeling like somebody had been dragging me through the dirt and gravel by my hair on my face. It was just so much stress for so long, drawn out for two years, looming above your head, and you don't know what your future is going to be. You have no idea. And then once it all, it's all happened, it's the worst case scenario. And so. What they ended up doing was charging me with aggravated assault, and they didn't give me jail time. They gave me four years of probation. That was three years and 363 days ago. I get off of probation for something that I did six years ago in two days. And where am I standing right now? I'm standing up here, and I'm gonna, I have a message to share with you all about this about how God put me in the lowly seat. He put me all the way down. All the way down. But he didn't leave me there. Because through that time, he found me. He had to put me all the way down there. He had to take all that stuff away from me. He had to take that job that I had going for me. I had spent money on school to go to it. 
I was doing so great. I had everything. I was ahead of, I was ahead of everybody else my age. And he took it all away from me, put me all the way down. And then he found me. And I found him. And I got saved. And he brought me into an amazing church family. He gave me real friends. He gave me a wife, a son. And he has me up here doing his work now. And that kingdom that I was trying to build for myself, he took away. It was, it's gone. I don't, I don't even want it anymore. I don't want that. I don't, that's, I can't even imagine. That's, that was, I thought that was going to be so perfect and awesome. I was doing so great. But now, instead of building that kingdom for myself, I'm building the Lord's kingdom. I'm helping the Lord build his kingdom. And he's using me and my family and my friends and this church to build his kingdom. And his kingdom is way better than anything that I could have built for myself. (laughs) Way better. And so we'll go into Luke 14 here. And we're going to read about the lowly seat. And why it's a good idea to take that lowly seat by choice and be brought up rather than be sent to that lowly seat from where you thought you would be doing so great and so well and how what and we're going to learn what's the better path and which way to go and so we'll start off in Luke 14 verse 1 it says a man with dropsy healed on the sabbath verse 1 now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And so, okay, now up to this point in the the story of of Jesus, the Pharisees have been following Jesus around, and uh, they've been trying to prove that he's not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. They're they're, they're going around, they're, they're trying to get him for anything they can find, right? And so here we see the Pharisees have invited Jesus over for dinner uh, with some of their friends. And it's a seemingly nice gesture, right? Uh, but as we're about to see, they're really trying to set a trap for him. Verse 2, And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Okay, now dropsy is an illness uh, that's basically excessive swelling in the body. It, uh, today we call it edema. It causes swelling of limbs and body cavities and stuff like that. And this would have been a pretty obvious illness. This would have been something that everybody would have seen. Uh, it's not something you could hide. It's not like uh, lesions and, you know, you could wear some clothes. or It wasn't anything like that. Uh, it was something that would, would have been pretty obvious. And as such, they, he would have been labeled as ceremonially unclean. They wouldn't have wanted to do anything with this man. So with, this, with him having this illness, why, why would he have been invited to the, the home of a prominent Pharisee in the first place? Like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't exactly the kind of person that they'd be hanging around. But let's keep in mind that these Pharisees, they've been following Jesus around for a while, and they've seen him heal and perform miracles and do all this stuff, and, he's, and he's been pushing the envelope of their society. And they're looking for anything that they can get him on. They're just, they're, we gotta, they can't have him. They, they, just, they can't stand him. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to figure out how do we get him out of the way. We need him out of the picture. He's messing things up for us. So they come up with the side. Why not invite this man with dropsy and let's invite Jesus. Let's bring him to the same place on the Sabbath and Jesus just won't be able to help himself. He'll have to heal the man and then we got him and we can start all this stuff up against him. <laughs> and we're really starting to see the selfishness of the Pharisees through all this. Um, I mean, how do you think this man with dropsy would feel about all this? 
being used for this reason. He's meant nothing to them up to this point. Now all of a sudden they need them. So, oh, okay, now you can come to our dinner here just because we need something from you. And they didn't didn't even stop to think how they would feel in the same situation if they were on the other end of that. So they set this trap for them, so to speak. But Jesus has already caught on in verse 3. Jesus asked the guest, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Him asking them probably took them by surprise. Um, They're probably like, oh, he's on our plan. You know, he wasn't supposed to get us involved. <laughs> like, he was just supposed to go heal him, and then we were going to go, aha! But here he is asking them questions. And so, naturally, they have no answer for him. So Jesus heals the man, and he sends him on his way. But then Jesus stays there, even though he knows they're trying to find fault in him. Jesus kind of sees, oh yeah, y'all are setting me a trap. But he stays there. Luke 14, verse 5. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him regarding these things. You know, Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy here. If they would help a donkey out of a pit on the Sabbath, then it was certainly appropriate to heal this man on the Sabbath. Even then, they would have considered this man, a man's life more valuable than a donkey's life. Something else that I liked about this part was if a donkey's fallen into a pit, it may very well be hurt, and that that would be an issue for the owner of the donkey. But it also can't do any work from inside that pit. They can't get any use if it's down in a pit, right? So the donkey wouldn't be serving its owner's purpose. It would have been easy for Jesus to think, well, it is the Sabbath. I should just tell this man to meet me tomorrow and get healed. You know, this this man's already dealt with this dropsy for for, for this long. What's, What's one more day? And then I won't have to have all these problems and with these Pharisees and blah, blah, blah. But, but he didn't wait for society to tell him it was okay. He saw this man's illness as urgent. He saw the work of God as urgent. And once the man was healed, he's able to begin the work of the Lord. The, the man with, with dropsy, his, his very being in the Bible is, is part of that work. But it's also likely that he would have went on to tell people that he was healed by Jesus. And so Jesus isn't done with his work regarding these Pharisees either. Luke 14, verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to, walk, to take the lowest place. Not just one seat down, the lowest place. And that day, the closer that somebody sat to the host, the higher their status was. Another example that's a little bit more recent than, than the Bible, anyways, there's a, there's a man called William Hurst. Uh, he was prominent in the uh, early 1900s. And uh, he was a businessman, politician. He did a lot of uh, print news stuff, newspapers and stuff like that. Uh, being this prominent businessman in, in the 1920s. He was, he was a pretty big deal. He had this big, huge mansion. And he would have famous guests that would rotate through this mansion that he would just have guests over. People like uh, big, big names, Winston Churchill, Calvin Coolidge, uh, Charlie Chaplin, Joan Crawford. A lot of these people would come in and they would stay for a while and they would have dinners and stuff. And you can show that picture. That was the, that's the, the table inside the mansion and 
they would have they would be assigned seats along there the, as as they came in that the newest person would sit the, the person who had just re, just got to the house they would sit closest to uh, William Hurst and the person that had been there the longest they would sit the furthest down and once the once somebody had got to the last seat all the way down that was kind of his nice way of telling them okay it's time for you to go now like that's it was it wasn't like a dishonor necessarily for him but it was like all right you've been here long enough you've had time you've been kind of moving down we got these new people it's time it's time for you to go you know you come back around some other time and so that it's just kind of an interesting modern example of of how that kind of works that the 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 newest person the the most most honored oh welcome to the mansion he sat closest to the host and then like i say they moved slowly down by the time they got to the end okay it's time to go so jesus saw these pharisees and leaders trying to sit in the best seats uh trying to grab the prestige that comes with with those seats as i say i'm special because look how close to the host i am uh, i'm better than anyone further away you know that that's kind of what that was saying and um they were trying to claim status that they hadn't fully earned by sitting in the best seats because closer to the host meant I should get more honor. You know, they're being prideful, thinking that they deserve these high seats because they thought highly of themselves. And God lets us know what he thinks about that mentality in uh, Revelation 3.16. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, do not know that that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. God wants to vomit out the prideful. He doesn't want that around him. And as such, he corrects it with humbling. And in this parable, we see what can become of someone who sits in that higher position without authority to do so. And keep in mind how this table seating hierarchy works. Can you imagine the embarrassment of being told to move from where you thought you deserved and being moved all the way to the end of the table? You know, let's say you're at the, this first mansion, and you just weren't ready to leave yet. You know, he had signed you that seat down there, but you're just not ready to leave. So you go and you sit up higher. Maybe nobody will notice, or maybe everybody will notice, and they'll just think I'm I've been here forever for for a while now, and I'll I'll be able to stay and hang out with everybody. And I, I want to go sit across from Winston Churchill. I need to. I want to pick his brain about this. You know, cause, but but then here comes William Hurst with. Charlie Chaplin and they come walking up in front of everybody and hey this is Charlie Chaplin's seat you're supposed to leave tonight you need to go sit down on the last seat and you got to walk all the way down there oh boy does Winston Churchill even want to talk to me at all now you might just want to leave early after that oh I'm not even waiting until dinner's over I'm just leaving now that was embarrassing but now that we've heard what not to do uh, Jesus gives us careful instruction on how to do things right. In verse 10, he says, But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Will be. It will happen. Both ways. Those people in your life that you see doing this, that you see trying to take that higher seat, trying to climb that corporate ladder, climb all over people trying to get to it too, trying to exalt themselves, they will be humbled. And vice versa, those who walk humbly and selflessly, building others up 
And most importantly, doing God's will and building His kingdom. Humbly loving others. They will be exalted. Now we've gone from a path of embarrassment and dishonor to a path of being lifted up between verses 9 and verse 10. And not only will we have glory with the host, but also with the others at the table with us. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Luke 14, verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The Pharisees here only invited people that could pay them back to their party. Even the man with dropsy was only there because they wanted to use him as a trap for Jesus. Their party was to only benefit themselves. And so finally, Jesus turns to the host, this prominent ruler of the Pharisees, and tells them, hey, if you really think you're so righteous, you should be inviting the poor and the outcast and the people who can't repay you. This would show that you truly did things for the Lord and not yourself because they wanted that appearance of being holy. But Jesus is saying, this isn't how you show people that you're holy. You should be inviting the poor and the outcast. And Jesus was showing them by doing that that he would be building a reward in heaven for himself. And he states, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's when we're paid for our humility. That's when we're exalted. That's when we're brought up to that higher seat and share in the glory of God. How can we look at this whole thing and see ourselves in it? The Lord invited us to join his great banquet, Supper of the Lamb, even though we can't repay him. We've been tainted by sin and are suffering from its consequences, just like the man in the story was suffering from dropsy. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus was sent to heal us. In Philippians 2.8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This was a position so low that Jesus' mother would have even been disgraced among society for having a son that died on the cross. And that's why we see Jesus put his mother in John's care. Jesus did the work dying on the cross and was exalted to the right hand of God because he went to the lowest lowest. And likewise, we should also humble ourselves to the work of the Lord. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If God thought we were worth pulling out of that pit like that donkey, should we not be out doing the work of God? Our culture teaches us that everything is about you. Just like I was thinking, I got my certifications, I'm going to go be a police officer, I'm going to do all this, I'm going to be I got my, I got everything going for me. Everything's going so great. But that's what society, that's what culture taught me to do. It's not what God wants me to do. It's not what God wants you to do. It wants us to be selfish and constantly fighting for the top honor, the highest seat, to be making that kingdom for ourselves. But we can't do it. And even if we get close, we end up being humbled down to the spot we deserve. But if we take the lowly seat and strive to be obedient to God, building His kingdom, not our own, doing His work, then we are repaid and brought up to that higher seat that even though we don't deserve it, it's given to us by grace. God's grace.
Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel, Pearland, located in Pearland, Texas. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless, you are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.